if you read an article saying that there's been a 3% rise in metro prices and suddenly the city is in a state of emergency and everything's on fire, it just seems insane. Hi, I'm Jordan Jones, editor of Latin America Reports. Welcome to our podcast, where we will be discussing Latin American stories for a global audience. Today, we'll be talking about the state of protests across the continent and what some are calling the Andean Spring. We'll also give you a roundup of the most interesting stories of the week. This is Latin America Reports. In October, three countries in Latin America experienced widespread violent social unrest, causing the presidents in Ecuador, Chile, and Bolivia to call states of emergencies in their respective countries. In our podcast today, we're going to be looking at the causes, the consequences, and the realities of the protests. First, a quick recap. Protests in Ecuador were triggered by the removal of fuel subsidies by Ecuador's president, Lenin Moreno but were actually endemic of broader austerity measures due to a controversial IMF loan that Moreno took out in February. After nearly two weeks of protests, President Moreno backed down, but only after eight people were left dead and over a thousand arrested. Chile, the economic success story of Latin America, surprised many when it devolved into disarray after a 3% rise in metro prices. Citizens demanding better wealth distribution and more social equality destroyed metro stations and burnt down supermarkets. So far, the protests have left at least 20 dead and over 5,000 arrested. Bolivia's recent elections also sparked social unrest. The Electoral Commission froze the website that released preliminary voting results for nearly 24 hours. This led to accusations of fraud when current president Evo Morales declared himself the president-elect. Now. There are violent clashes between Morales' supporters and those opposed to his re-election. Today, Frances Jenner will join us to talk about a story she is working on about the wave of protests sweeping the region. What's going on, Frances? Hi, how are you doing? Let's talk protests. Are we witnessing the Andean Spring? And is there a better nickname? I think that's a really complicated question. Um, it seems as if they're linked because they all seem to happen at the same time. But it is a much more complicated story than that. I spoke to Joe Eldridge. I'm a senior fellow at Lola. And he said that, the, that Latin America as a continent is linked in some ways and not in others. I would say that there are connections mm-hmm. among the various countries, and, but each has its unique set of circumstances and its unique ways of manifesting discontent and fury and anger at the growing inequality even though the protests are against inequality in Chile and Ecuador anyway, the way that people have protested against them has, has still been very different. So, so who else have you spoken to for the story? You've got uh, Joe Eldridge from WOLA. Um, who else are you trying to um, get in t- contact with to get a feel for what's actually going on down there? Well, to get a feel of what's going, going on on the ground, I've been talking to people who are in the countries, who are in the protests, who are taking part to... Yeah, to get a sense of what it's like on the ground. So I've spoken to people in Bolivia, I've spoken to people in Ecuador and in Chile who have either taken part in the protests or have been watching it from afar. 
Um, I'm also trying to get in contact with Rodrigo Reza Perez, who is an analyst for the Economic Intelligent Unit for, the, for LATAM in the Caribbean, but he hasn't got back to me yet, so I'll keep you posted. Cool. I look forward to hearing from him. If you had unlimited resources, uh, who would you try to speak to and why? Well, what do you want to know? Especially for Chile, I would want to speak to Sebastián Piñera, the president, because the way that he reacted to the protests was just so far beyond what I think and many people think that a president should have done. The protests did become violent, but he came up and publicly said that we are at war. We are at war against the people who have no respect for anything which just made it so much worse. The protesters were more enraged that, that Sebastian Piñera had no idea why they were protesting, and it was so far removed from what um, they wanted. So uh, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but when you talk about um, the, the response to these protests being violent, what, what are you talking about? We're talking about large groups of protesters burning tires, blocking streets in Chile, because there was the, the hike in metro prices that started the protests, they've burnt down metro stations completely. They've burnt down supermarkets. Burning things um, in Chile was a really big tool that they used in these protests. And, and what about the government response um, to these protesters? In all three of the protests that we're going to talk about today, the government response or the response of the security has been difficult, shall we say. There's been a lot of um, accusations of excessive violence. There's been accusations of using violence when it's unprovoked. People who aren't in protests are getting beaten by police. Tear gas is being used where it doesn't need to be used. There's at least a dozen people, or at least partially blind in Chile, just from rubber bullets or pellet gunshots and stuff like that. So the, the violence on part of the government is something that's really been an issue during these protests. So three countries have declared a state of emergency in one month. But what does that actually mean uh, in each of these countries? That depends on the country. A state of emergency is something that you'll find in the Constitution. In Ecuador, if you call a state of emergency, the president can move the government headquarters, which Moreno did. He moved it um, to Guayaquil, the port city. He is allowed to censor information in the media. He's allowed to use armed forces for internal security, close ports, airports, borders, ask for tax payments early, use public funds for other means. Like there's so many things that he can do that he couldn't do before. In Chile, it puts the area designated for the state of emergency under the control of the head of national defense, which in Chile's case is Andres Chadwick. And there's been a lot of accusations of excessive violence from him as well. And you restrict freedom of movement and freedom of assembly. In Bolivia, it changes every time. So it's approved by the Legislative Assembly, and they decide what um, measures will be used within that um, state of emergency. So if the causes behind these protests have been brewing for some time, particularly for Ecuador and Chile, why now? Why are people all of a sudden taking to the streets because of a hike in metro prices? I think that's been the question on a lot of people's lips for people who are not in the area. If you read an article saying that there's been a 3% rise in metro prices and suddenly the city is in a state of emergency and everything's on fire, it just seems insane. But in Chile and in Ecuador, this is a really slow build-up process. So I was speaking to someone who was like, this is the last straw. We have dealt with so many slight rises in this, slight rises in other things. Everything just gets a little bit more expensive. In Chile, 
they've done, or lots of citizens have taken part in peaceful protests, and either the government changes something really small and then changes it back again, or nothing happens at all. So they've tried peaceful protests and it didn't work. And so this is why I think it just exploded in the way that it has. So then the solution would just be to, to remove the metro price increase, right? And then people go home. Um, or is this a bigger issue and um, the demands of the protesters are a little bit more complicated? It's so much more complicated. Um, after, I think it was two days of the protests in Chile, Piñera removed the 3% raise in metro prices, and that did absolutely nothing. It just solidified the fact that he didn't know what the protests were for. In Ecuador as well, Moreno, he wasn't going to put back the fuel subsidies, and he did in the end, but only after all of the people on the streets had made such a fuss that they realized that that actually wasn't the issue at all. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much broader than that. Thank you. So, so where are we now? Um, where does that leave us and where does that leave you with the story that you're trying to, to turn out? Well, depends very much on the country. So in Ecuador, Moreno removed um, the austerity measures that had caused such an issue. He met up with indigenous groups and he's created a kind of social welfare package. He's changed tax, so it's going to tax richer people more, and those taxes aren't going to affect the people in the lower end of the income bracket. That has calmed the situation down. At the moment, there aren't that many protests going on in Ecuador. Chile, very different. On Friday, there was the, they called it La Marcha Más Grande, the biggest march um, in Santiago. 1.2 million people came out on a protest on Friday. And Piñera, Sebastián Piñera, the president, he asked his entire cabinet to resign. They didn't, but he has managed to change eight people in the cabinet for people that are younger, for people that are more progressive. But the problem is the ministers of education, health and transport, which is where most of the problems are in Chilean society, they have remained the same. Protests continue and they have started getting violent again. Um, we've heard reports of more rubber bullets, bird shots, firearm wounds, and as, as you said earlier, at least 20 people have died in these protests. Bolivia... Violence is still happening. The OAS is planning to audit the elections. And if evidence of fraud comes up, then Morales says that he will call a runoff with his rival, Carlos Mesa. But at the moment, um, violence is still happening. Protests are still happening. The interesting thing here is that you've got people who are protesting for Evo Morales to stay in power, people who are protesting against Evo Morales, and you've also got the security forces in the middle. So it's a very violent, very difficult situation. Thank you so much for your time, Francis. Uh, do you want to tell us what we're watching this week? Yeah, sure. So in Argentina, they had their elections on Sunday and center-left Alberto Fernandez won those elections with Cristina Kirchner as his vice president. Argentinians are hoping for more social welfare policies under Fernandez's government, as at the moment, 35% of the population live under the poverty line and over 10% are unemployed. But this could prove to be difficult in the current recession. In Honduras, an alleged drug trafficker with critical evidence against the Honduran president's brother, Tony Hernandez, was brutally murdered in prison. The victim's lawyer said that he had been receiving death threats for a year and suggested that the Honduran government could be behind the attack. In El Salvador, President Nayib Bukele is celebrating a deal with the US that gives Salvadorans living in the United States temporary protected status, or TPS, for another year. This is expected to affect around 250,000 Salvadorans. But U.S. Immigration Services Director Ken Cuccinelli said that the decision was not a formal extension of TPS status. Great, thank you.
To read Francis's article on social unrest in Latin America, please visit our website, latinamericareports.com, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. That's all we've got for this week. Thanks again.